Tooth and Claw, Issue 1, Lincoln, England, present day. Precisely in the middle of the centre circle there was a blackened corpse, scorched and partially eroded from the rain, though it was now sheltered by a hastily erected tarpaulin and surrounded on one side by windbreaks. The body, or what was left of it, was laid on its back, the sodden turf around it an aura of pulsing bloody blacks like melting paint. So far, so run of the mill, thought Ross. Where it got strange was above the charred shoulders. Where the head should have been sat a sandstone boulder, flat-bottomed and three and a half feet high. Not so run of the mill. An hour earlier, they'd arrived in a dense, falling curtain of pinprick raindrops that covered the city as the train pulled in. The scene was only a 20-minute walk over a spongy footbridge, already treacherously slick with gobs of moss and rot, through an empty car park to the street beyond, then on to the stadium. Why are we always got to take the train, Drake? muttered Ross as he drew his collar tighter. There's a chill to the wind tonight. Coming down from the northeast, hitting the rain out of the fens. This city always seems to be on the verge of sluicing away, replied Drake, leaning into a blast of water scooped up by the wind. All the more reason to take a car. No, this is a baser artery of the city. Factories, canals, terraces. The train carriage is also a local vessel through it. Better to enter a place half part of it than sequestered in an automobile. Ross squinted through the rain at his superior and tried to reconcile his discomfort and impatience with his instinct that Drake was right. An ongoing battle since he'd been assigned to work with him. Drake was already revered by many in the order, and in the last year Ross had become certain that he had utterly deserved the reputation or was a complete charlatan, no half measures. They walked briskly through slippery, narrow streets until they came to the canal that ran down to the football stadium. They turned and followed it, past faded houses and rusted embankments, the canal slick and torpid. The diving raindrops roused an aroma of strewn rubbish and swan shit. Behind them, the great cathedral, looming over the castle next to it. Its tower split the smeared pastel of neon, smoke and mist. Ross sneered to think it was the only thing in this city that could escape the murk and blowing flatness. The high refuge was always the residence of the rich and the holy. You know this place then, he asked. I've spent some time here, years ago. Always this grim, every time I've been. No, that's not true actually. Once I was here in summer, the Brayford in the sun and the breeze not too strong, steep hill overhead. Quite the picture really. I'll take your word for it. Harried protrusions of dim orange light fluttered from the street lamps, leading further towards the stadium and away from the station and the centre of town. They turned past a greying corner store, a number of squad cars and trucks cordoning the road. An officer checked their ID and raised the thin wet tape that fluttered in the wind. As they walked out of the tunnel onto the floodlit pitch, a man greeted them, extending a cold, wet hand. He was short, with thin greying hair and a bumpy face. A quiver in his voice betrayed his nervousness. Detective Howard. Gentlemen, I'm going to be honest with you right away. I'm not sure why you two are here or exactly who you are, but then I'm not really sure what's happened here either. When the call came that you were on your way, well, I'm happy to give you a run at it. I've never seen anything like this. The thin umbrella over his head hadn't saved him a drenching. The rain on his too short cagoule reflected the glare of the floodlights up into his face. It gave his sagging chin a look like a cheap Halloween trick. 
His eyes were bloodshot. He sighed, come take a look, I guess. Then they saw the body. Has anyone tried to move the rock? Asked Drake calmly. No, it's not been touched, Howard answered. Nothing has. We just got it covered before we were told to wait for you. It's no pebble, eh? When did you get the call? Asked Ross. About an hour ago. Groundsman only lives on Sorsal, street next to the station. Was on his sofa watching telly, saw a flash of light through the stand. He thought it were a lamp going maybe, but there were a bit of smoke too. He gets up and come over here to check it out. Found this. Ross pointed to a man wrapped in a blanket, sat in a dugout nursing a thermos, two officers beside him. That's him there? Aye. I'll go have a chat, Drake. Drake? Howard asked as Ross strode away. A smile flitted over Drake's lips. Is that an interesting name to you, Detective? Well, coincidence, obviously, Howard offered. Just one of the boys has already identified that rock, see? I didn't recognise it at first, but it's the Drake Stone from St Edith's in Annick, not far south of here. Jenkins had been down there just this weekend. I see. Lovely spot, Annick, proper countryside. It's famous round here, the stone, that is. That's outside of the ghastly nature of it. What I can't get my head round, though. Awful lot of trouble to use such a specific stone from that far away. It's got to mean something, don't you think? A message... It is odd, Detective, Drake said as he bent down to look closer at the stone. And with the burning, too, you think it's something ritualistic? Well, I can't quite believe it, but what else can you think? This city has some wrongings, no doubt, some horrible things done by some horrible people, but never something this weird. Drake closed his eyes and ran his hand slowly over the stone. The weathered surface held tiny, light-filled pools of rain that rippled and popped under his skin. You, uh... Know what I mean, said Howard. Drake let his hand rest on top of the stone for a moment, then snapped his eyes open and rose to his feet. He turned and looked Howard in the eyes. It's definitely weird, Detective, and you may well be right. However, I want to assure you that as ghastly as it may get with cases like this, there's invariably something sordid and ordinary at the heart of it. Drake stepped closer to the detective and looked down into his face with a warm, powerful smile. This is why myself and Agent Ross have been brought in. This is what we deal with what we specialise in. I'll let you into a little secret too, Detective. His voice was mellow and reassuring, and though his smile hadn't widened, it seemed to have deepened. With the weird cases like this, you know, cults, devil worshippers, that kind of thing, they're always easy busts. Their very weirdness makes them expose themselves. They can do a fair bit of damage in a short time, sure, but they're normally caught quick. Howard looked slowly up at Drake, squinting a little in the shuddering floodlights. His eyes were heavy, yet he couldn't tear his gaze away. Sure, I'm sure you guys know what you're doing. He was almost drawling, like a drunk halfway to slumber. We'll keep you updated regularly on our investigations, of course, and our reports will reflect your cooperation at all stages, I'm sure. Yes, yes, absolutely, Agent Drake. Like I said, I'm quite happy to let you guys have a run at it. Do what you need and just uh, let me know if you need anything. Excellent. I think Agent Ross is done with the groundsman. Now, clear the stadium until we're done, Detective, if you'd be so kind. Um, we won't be more than an hour, and then you can continue. Ross, come and look at this. Drake turned back to the body, leaving the detective slightly dazed. Howard ordered the men from the pitch and followed them out to resume standing in the street, in the rain, under his pointless umbrella. Well, said Drake, as Ross approached. Pretty much as Howard told it to us, the groundsman said he could still feel the heat when he got onto the pitch, even though the flame had all but died. Also, he heard a noise. A noise? 
yeah, before he got out of the tunnel, he said it was like a grating, barking noise. He thought it must have been the perps trying to get out, knocked, out, knocked something over, but he couldn't find anything, well, anyone. Brave guy, pretty shaken. Get a line to the circle. Let them know we've got a potential flare-up here, Drake said curtly as he rose to his feet and turned to Ross. A flare-up? I hope not. But if the suspect I have in mind has decided to go symbolic on us, we have something to worry about. It took a moment for Ross to get it. Duckstone? Drake hesitated. If it is him, we need to try and talk to him, and quickly. How are we even going to find him quickly? Drake looked hard at Ross for a moment. Go check and make sure the stadium's empty, he said suddenly. What? They all just left. We can't take any chances. Do it now. Drake took Ross by the shoulders and looked into his eyes. I have something to tell you afterwards. It's important and you need to know, but not at this moment. You... Are you actually a freak or what, Drake? Ross trembled inside. What was it about Drake that made him even consider surrendering to some vague sense of his instinctual ability, his authority? It should be too little said for a man like Ross to take as an answer, and yet this urge to trust him. Fine, but you owe me an explanation. Drake waited until he saw Ross disappear through the exit and then turned to kneel back down before the rock. He again closed his eyes and this time placed both hands on the stone. The rain was more solid, the wind just enough to blow it into stubborn rectangular slabs that freely tore through the auditorium, buffeting the tarpaulin and shuddering the windbreaks. Drake bent his head forward over the rock and a low murmur began to rise from beneath him. Sydney, Australia, 15 years earlier. The gleaming water of the harbour echoed streams of light up into the arcing night sky, warping and flexing off the speeding windows of the vehicles on the bridge and back and off again off of the chequered grid of towering offices. Not a single band of black remained unblemished in the dark as a spread of stars so high and wide hung over the city that throbbed back into life after the brief lull of sundown had passed. His bus seemed to float over the water, as if the bridge were a cloud passing back from the suburban hybrid of Neutral Bay to the heart of the city itself on a steady Pacific breeze. He preferred working the late shift. He preferred the harbour at night. It had a grandeur in the midday sun, but no mystery. At night, the palms and the bats and the traffic and the noise and the light would rise up and fill what had been incandescent blue and cloud just hours before, making the air in the street seem fuller and denser, more tangible. It was three years since he'd arrived in Sydney, three years of various jobs, different acquaintances and no particular fondness for any of them. He wasn't rude or even that detached in conversation. He did enjoy the company of others sometimes. Most evenings, rather than go for a drink in the rocks or hit a club in the cross, he'd wander from cafe to cafe, bar to bar, park bench to park bench. He liked walking the city and listening to it chatter and hum, enjoying places more than people. During days off, he'd head to the beach and slide himself into the deep blue of the ocean, spending hours rolling in the surf, basking in the hot, clear air. Or he'd visit the library, stop in various record shops, galleries, idly strolling streets that beamed in the sun as bright buildings rose like cliffs above. It was a city that felt new. 
The smooth surfaces of the pavements and the still fresh walls that thrust into the massive sky reflected the beating rays so the place thrummed like a bulb. He could never go straight back to his flat after work and instead of changing bus at the quay or taking the subway, he'd walk down past Hyde Park, the green a deeper hue when surrounded by shadow, joggers, lovers and beasts floating around the eucalyptus dappled lawns. From there he'd cut through streets and alleys to Chinatown, his favourite haunt. He'd stop and grab a bowl of noodles or dumplings, perched on a railing watching the people go by, carrying their shopping, loading storefronts, talking loudly in the street over the pulse of cars and music and night. One evening, walking back from a food court after a brief burst of summer rain, he heard a shout from the gloom of an alley. A young woman, Chinese, no more than 20, was trying to free her hand away from a man, similarly aged. He was short and slight in his tight jeans and red leather jacket, but he stood squarely, holding the woman's hand with a forceful nonchalance. They were both shouting in Cantonese. He didn't even realise he was doing it. He stepped into the alley, raising his hands, palms out. I'm Robert. I don't mean to be rude, but is there a problem I could help with here? He felt his stomach turning and the hairs of his arms stand up. He tried to look calm. Fuck you, spat the man before turning back to the woman. Not your business, bitch. Look, I just want to make sure everyone's okay, said Robert. He turned his eyes to the woman. She raised her eyebrows quickly at him, tilting her head towards the street even as she grimaced at the man's grip. Okay, take your hand off her, now. He couldn't quite believe the tone of his voice as he said it. He was absolutely sure the man had to let her go immediately. He hadn't thought about how he was going to make that happen, but had no doubt it would. I fucking told you, bitch. Not your business, the man shouted, releasing the woman from his grip so he could turn and jab his finger hard into Robert's chest. Robert recoiled at the impact but didn't step backwards. The man followed in, shoving his face up close. He was wearing small framed sunglasses and had a scrunch of bleached hair poking from the top of his skull while the original black, heavily greased hair jutted down from his temples. His lips snarled over his front teeth. His cheek twitched in anger. Robert looked down into his eyes. He took a deep breath as his assailant bristled into him, his forehead almost touching the tip of Robert's nose. Just let it go, dude, he exhaled, holding the man's gaze. Through his sunglasses, Robert could see the pupils dilating. The twitch started to move up from his cheek to under his eye. Robert took another deep breath and waited. The man's body strained in a vertically held surge of aggression. After what felt like an eternity, the man eventually wrenched his head away. He spun around and turned down the alley, flailing his hands and cursing, stupid move, bitch, before turning to the girl and hissing in Cantonese. Robert felt nauseous. He took a couple more deep breaths, steadied himself, then looked at the girl. She was staring up the street where the man disappeared into the night. Are you okay? he asked. She turned and looked at him quizzically. Yes, I am. Thank you, she said slowly, frowning now, her eyes a deep brown. Though that was a stupid thing to do. Robert gave her a blank look. She smiled, almost sadly then. Brave, but stupid. Her eyes flashed briefly over with a sweep of jet black before she frowned again. You should not come back to Chinatown. That was a dangerous man. He seemed pretty dangerous. Is that the kind of guy you want to be hanging around with? Her eyes flashed again and the frown deepened. You do not know this part of the city, and I know what I am doing. I tell you for your own safety to stay away. If he sees you again, that man will hurt you. I was just trying to help, Robert said, softening his voice. He was beginning to calm himself down. I don't mean to offend you. I just thought you were in trouble. Look, my name's Robert. 
Robert Drake. He offered his hand. She smiled again, less sadly this time, but did not take it. The pure skin of her small face was suddenly thrown into relief by the shadow still swimming in the brown of her eyes. I am Haleen Hua, and thank you again, but you must go and not return, Robert Drake. She turned and effortlessly sped back into the street in the humid Sydney night. Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer. Mm-hmm.